Hi everybody, welcome to Long Term Memory. As always, it is me, Jack. And it's me, Colin, and we are returning, Jack, this week to one of our go-tos that we've not done for a while, so maybe you can't call it a go-to anymore, but we used to do these quite regularly, didn't we? Yeah, it was serial killers. Everybody, I imagine, has read the title, so they know who we're doing, but just to tease it out a little bit, in my opinion, this guy is the the most, like, movie serial killer, like TV serial killer, like somebody you would get in a Luther or something like that, or a a serial killer movie because of his such a double life that he lived and the fact that he had an alter ego as a, like he had a, a clown alter ego, and clowns yeah. are just freaky, uh, Pogo the clown. It's John Wayne Gacy we're speaking about, obviously. So where does he... As I've said previously, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer is my all-time top favourite serial killer, but this guy's up there, and I would love to see a Dahmer-type show made about this guy because of his links with politicians and things like that, his... um, the parties he threw for the neighbourhood, the uh, the fact he was a clown and things like that would, I think, points towards a really interesting TV show at some point. Because there have been a few things about him, but I don't think there's been anything made that's actually been any good about him, to be honest. Um, but where does it, what do you think of John Wayne Gacy and, and his alter ego, Pogo the Clown? Yeah, I think similar to you, um, his story and all the different elements to it almost make him sound like a character rather than somebody that was actually real. Because if you're looking to create a film about about a serial killer, you would want somebody like him that's got a big, massive list of victims. Um, You've got, you want somebody that's got a bit of a personality to them. You want somebody that's not just a psycho. You want somebody that's actually got a few like different faces to them and different elements to them. And this guy has that. He's entertaining people. He's dressing as a clown. He's very popular. He's moving in influential circles and all this sort of stuff. Um, he's got it all in terms of a story, which I think is why he is like quite popular in terms of people who know about serial killers and like the stories of them and stuff like that. But like you said, not being really properly portrayed on screen as yet, which does surprise me. Yeah, it was 1992, there was a TV film made about him called To Catch a Killer. He was still alive then, and he didn't die until 1994, did John Wayne Gacy. And then there was a film in 2003 called Gacy, basically, but I haven't seen it, but it only got 4.7 on IMDb, which points towards it being a pretty dog shit film, you know. Yeah, 4.7, you don't even look at it. No, anything, like I've said this before, so anything under about six, six and a half, you're kind of like, e a bit iffy. Anything over seven, seven and a half, you're like, I, I imagine that's that's going to be decent. But John Wayne Gacy, he was a John Wayne Gacy Jr. because his dad was called that, but we'll get to his parents later, as always, as always. But he was born, he was a war baby, born in 1942, Colin, um, right about when America was sort of joining that Second World War. Uh, convicted and executed, which is fair enough, for the rape and murder of 33 boys and young men. Uh, he was six years at it, between 72 and 78. 
Uh, he buried 27 of them in a crawl space under the floor of his house, whether the others were found in sort of nearby rivers. And obviously because of his children's entertainment thing that he used to do, obviously dressing up like a clown, uh, he got known as the killer clown, basically, which is pretty, pretty standard form from um, the press and stuff like that there. But again, it's a pretty... The way it's a cool name, but you know what I mean? It's not like Gimpy Clown or fucking Idiot Clown. Like These guys <laughs> yeah. get cool names, like the Night Stalker and fucking Killer Clown. Um, it's pretty um, headline-worthy uh, grabbing. Again, yeah, we, we've spoken about that before, it. haven't we? We've spoken about yeah. this before. Like it's, It is stupid reporting because what you're doing is you're justifying what these guys are doing. You're making them feel important. You're making them feel as if they are notorious by giving them these names like the night stalker like the killer clown and you're right if the actual news was going to say there's an absolute scumbag out killing people there's 25 boys missing and we think the guy that's doing it is an absolute loser in fact he's a total loser clown then that probably would have an impact on these guys more negatively and maybe make them bloody do themselves in or something rather than being called the killer clown and all this sort and it, of stuff. It just gives them the notoriety. I can't speak. It gives them the notoriety that they don't deserve and they've got what they want. Well, that's it. And like that TV film was made in 1992, a couple of years before he died. So he probably seen himself getting portrayed in a film, which I imagine he thought was pretty cool because I watched, I was, go- my plan was to watch like a documentary and stuff like that in work today because it was quite at a point, but it got a little bit busier. So I didn't get the time, but I did see some of the, his interviews and stuff like that, and he was very much, obviously, a fucking horrible cunt, but he, like, no sort of, no remorse. Like, he just didn't care. Like, you know, when he was getting executed, I think he told, basically, not get any last words, and it was like, a stick it up your ass type thing. You know, right, like, okay. just an arsehole. Like, no, like, no, even if it is fake remorse from these guys in death row at the end where they say, I, I apologise, I, I hope God will forgive me, or whatever gash they came out with. He just didn't give a fuck right until the end, basically. So, as always, we'll just give you a little bit of background about his early life and stuff like that. Uh, sort of his earlier crimes, because he was a criminal before he started the murdering, his political interests, then we'll speak about his murders and stuff like that. So, our usual garb from us. Um, so he was born in Chicago, Colin. Um, you like America? Have you, I, I, ever wanted to go to Chicago? Chicago's a place that I'd quite like to go in America, sort of a little bit uh, off yeah, the Yeah, I would, I would be against going to Chicago and seeing like, the, the Windy City. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to go, I'd, I'd, it's a quite niche, I'd like to go and see wrestling in Chicago. Chicago's a very good wrestling town. I'd like to go see a wrestling event, particularly one with CM Punk or somebody uh, performing at it. That would be pretty cool. I'd like that. Um, but yeah, it's a big city. It's America. It's going to be cool. Um, yeah. He was born there back in... Um, he, he, was, so he, was, he was the second of three children, wasn't he? To John Wayne Gacy Sr., who was born in 1900, uh, who was a machinist. So quite an old dad. Quite an old dad. He was 42. Then when John Wayne Gacy was born, so that's quite old for a father, especially back then. Like it's maybe a little bit more common nowadays, but back then it was like you were 21, you had kids, family married and stuff like that. So to totally. be 42 
like again, we have kids after that. Unsurprisingly, we'll get we'll get to his dad in a minute, but like maybe it was just like was he unwanted or whatever, you know? Like at that age, do you want a fucking half kid? I don't know. Like Yeah, the, we'll hear we'll hear why his dad was a bit of a dickhead next, but um his mother, Marion Elaine Robinson. Um she was born in nineteen oh eight and she lasted all the way up to nineteen eighty nine, bless her, so she would have lived through all a lot of this. Uh-huh. Um he was of Polish and Danish heritage, but like you alluded to, Jack, troubled relationship with his father. His dad was an alcoholic. He abused him regularly and called him a sissy. Um, he was closer to his sisters and his mother. Mother was very affectionate towards him. Called him Johnny um, for some reason. I don't know. I don't know where Johnny comes into it. Or, or Johnny, John, isn't it? Because you called John. John. <laughs> I, <laughs> I forgot his name was John. I was like Wayne Gacy. Right, okay, yeah, Aye. obviously. Um, but yeah. yeah, so she calls him Johnny, close to his mum, close to his sisters, not close to the male adult figure in his life, Jack. Yeah, and that's <laughs> every single one of these guys' fathers is a bit of a dickhead. Um, it seems to be one of the the key indicators, you know, um, especially if your dad's calling you a sissy and stuff like that. You look up to your dad, so a uh, yeah. bit of a shitty childhood. Maybe, let's say, maybe, because it turned out he's bisexual, obviously, or gay or whatever, so... Maybe just growing up, getting that pounded into him had a, a lasting effect. When he was 11, this kind of pops up, I think. Well, there's, there's, all, there's always an event like this, isn't there? <laughs> there's always, always an event. Yeah, you get fucking pratted on the head with a swing, basically, and the head trauma formed a blood blood, a blood clot in his brain that went unnoticed, basically, So uh, for five years until he was 16. Uh, and then he started to get blackouts. And shit like that, which um, I'd imagine would be quite scary as a 16-year-old. You know, you're just fucking blacking out for what appears to be no reason. But he was eventually prescribed medication and that dissolved the clot or or should have dissolved the clot anyway. And another thing, um, we'll get onto his schooling here. You know, he, he didn't have a settled schooling life, did he, Colin? He didn't. He attended four different high schools. Um, he dropped out eventually uh, before completing his senior year and he left his family and headed west. Uh, he found himself in Las Vegas but ran out of money there pretty quickly. Um, he got himself a job, uh, worked long enough purely to earn enough money to get home to Chicago. Um, got back to Chicago, uh, didn't ever go back to high school and finish it. Uh, he enrolled though, uh, Jack, and eventually graduated from Northwestern Business College. And this was enough to get my management trainee position with the Noonbush Shoe Company. Uh-huh. I'm sure shoe companies come up quite a lot of these guys as well. It's yeah, not the first one. Do you know what? Like, see, but back, see, back in, like, 50s and 60s America, see if you work for a shoe company, yeah. you were doing all right, I think. I think that was, like, a perfectly straight-up job. Like, you sold shoes, you were trustworthy, you were a salesman. So, like, he went in there as a, a trainee, like he says, but I think he get transferred. We don't know why but he got transferred to Springfield, um, and that's when he met his first wife, um, Marilyn Myers, basically. They married in September 64. And this so is that when was starts- the, So I was just going to say, that, that, was the, that was the same year that he got transferred. So he transferred in 64, met her in 64, married her in 64. Um, things were different back then, weren't they? Aye, like pretty rapidly like that, like, oh... Um, the, the woman at the time was probably like, oh, he, he's a trainee, he's he's doing not bad at the shoe company, you know, like yeah. he, he's a he's a good catch. This guy because he he was also active in like 
local politics and stuff like that and was involved in like the local Springfield organisations and things like that and um, he joined the Jaycees um, which were like a political type group I'm sure and he eventually rose to the vice president of the Springfield chapter in one year so he moved there and then he was up to VP of the Jaycees who were like a like I say it's a political type not a political party but a political activist and things like that so he was he was meeting a lot of people he was blending in he was like on the face of it, hard working, politically active guy, basically. Um, he'd also done very, very well for himself in terms of this missus that he'd found himself with. Her family had purchased a group of KFC restaurants. Oh, did they? Um, right, so okay. he, had, he, had, he had unlimited KFC in his life. And um, <laughs> he was actually offered a job as a manager um, of the Waterloo, Iowa KFC. And he took that job on and moved there. So he's now managing a KFC, which back then, again, an amazing thing to be doing. Yeah, Iowa. The only reason I know Iowa is because that's where Slipknot started to, basically. Oh, okay. I'm sure Iowa would be delighted if that's its claim to fame. <laughs> Fucking Slipknot. Slipknot are like the biggest metal band in the world, man. So I don't know, but they're not very good. I think they're all right. I've seen that. I've not listened to them in a long time. But um, the Gacy's... So him and his wife, Marilyn, eventually settled in Waterloo and had two kids, a son and a daughter. Uh, Gacy worked hard at the KFC franchise, but still found time to join the Jaycees, like we said earlier. Rumours of his homosexuality started to spread, but uh, again, this didn't stop him from being named Outstanding Vice President of the Waterloo Jaycees in 1967. Now, it's a weird one because how many vice presidents did they have? Because if you're the only one and then you get named outstanding vice president, it's kind of a hollow victory. But again, it just kind of shows that he was well respected and stuff like that. There was a uh, like a, a different side to JC life in Waterloo, one that involved prostitution, but uh, pornography and drugs. And Gacy was kind of deeply involved in that. So as well as being a political act- activist group, they were heavy into porn and shit and drugs. So uh, he enjoyed that shit and he was cheating his wife quite regularly, you know, um, with guys and girls, I think. Um, at the same time, he opened up a club, in inverted commas, because it wasn't like a, <laughs> it wasn't like it had a premises and shit like that. It was in his basement um, for the young boys of Waterloo, where he allowed these young boys to come round and get pissed up, basically. And then he would... I don't know, I, I was going to say anyway, he would shag them, but I don't know if he would make sexual advances towards them anyway. So he's already living this sort of double life here, man, you know? Yeah, he's living, a, he's living a very much a middle-class life, Jack, as you said. Got a decent old job running the franchises, he's involved in politics, seemingly well thought of vice president and everything like that. However, it all came crashing down in March of 1968 when two Waterloo boys, one age 16 and one age 15, accused him of sexually assaulting them. Uh, Gacy swore his innocence and it appeared he may actually get away with it. But in August of that year, um, he hired another Waterloo youth to beat up one of the accusers. Uh, That youth was caught, confessed the whole thing, and Gacy was then arrested. Um, Before that year was out, he was convicted of sodomy and sentenced to 10 years in the Iowa State Penitentiary. So he was blasting me boys' bums at the time. Um... 
Gacy's imprisonment was rapidly followed by his wife's petition for divorce. Obviously, she's like, get shot at this cunt. And that was finalised in 1969. And he never saw his children again. During his prison time, his incarceration, his dad died from cirrhosis. Uh, Merry Christmas. It was on Christmas Day in 1969. His dad died. and he, But he's actually paroled. So he got a 10-year sentence, right? And he, I think he served 18 months of it because he was paroled in 1970. This happens all the time as well with these cunts like... You're in jail for sodomy, for abusing young boys. Ten years, fucking 18 months later. I mean, 20, not even 20% of your sentence is served. Like, and you're, you're out the door. 15% of your sentence served. Out the door. Um, he was released, moved back to Illinois to live with his mum. Again, close to his mother. Successfully managed to hide his criminal record um, until later on in his life when he was... So he managed to hide all this sodomy charges and stuff like that until... He was getting looked into for all the murders later on. So it was there. But again, these back then, police didn't have a, a, a computer database or anything like that. They just had none of that shit back then. So all you had to do was like move a couple of miles down the road and they couldn't know who you were. It's mad, isn't it? It really is mad when you think about it compared to how much better it is now for that sort of thing. Um, he's back living with his mum in 1971. He's got a job as a chef in a restaurant in Chicago. Um, his mother's helping him out financially and he buys a house buys a house at 8213 West Summerdale Avenue in an unincorporated sure. area of Norwood Park um, Township uh, this is a place called Cook County which is in the northwest side of Chicago and Jack that house had a four foot deep crawl space under the floor um, a crawl space is somewhere not really, doesn't really exist here um, if anybody's watched Breaking Bad, you'll know about it. It's where Walter White still uh, had a lot of his money uh, under the crawl space in his house on Breaking Bad. Um, it's an odd thing because th- they're not the most secure of places, Jack. You can get into them from the outside quite easily. And at four foot, you're not going to store that much in them. They seem a bit of a weird thing to have in a house. Yeah, I've years and years ago, I remember my friend getting a new floor or something. And he, had, he didn't have like a crawl space, but he had space under his floor. But it was only about 18 inches or something. And I mind his dad sending like us down to get something, or clean it up or whatever. Um, not like forced labour or anything like that, but just because we were smaller. He's like, you might yeah. be doing that. And I was pure excited to go down. And I just remember it was full of spiders, really. And that was about the only thing I remembered. But like I says, it was only like you could only basically fit a child in it. But this is four feet. So you could you could kind of get crawling. You could probably get in your hands and knees and crawl through a space like that. Yeah. So um, that's why they yeah. call it the crawl space. Yeah, exactly. There you <laughs> are. Um, right, 71, he's charged again for, guess what, uh, it involved a teenage boy, basically. Oh, Disorderly conduct, it's called. So a teenage boy claimed that Gacy picked him up and basically tried to rape him. The complaint was dropped uh, because the boy did not appear for his court case. The Iowa Board of Parole did not learn of this. Uh, so his parole officer or whatever he just fucked off and never told him <laughs> so he was discharged from parole in October 1971 um, so with that one um, June 22nd 1972 he's arrested again Jack this time for battery uh, after another young man said that Gacy flashed a sheriff's badge at him <laughs> lured him into Gacy's car and forced him into sex so listen, this is serious stuff here because this isn't this goes beyond just assaulting young children. 
you've got to think that having a false policeman's badge is quite a big deal as well. However, Jack, charges are dropped once again. Fucking hopeless he's Paulus back then, man. It's mental. 72 comes around and he meets a, a lassie that he used to kick about with, an acquaintance, let's call her, from his teenage years called Caroline Hoff. Um, she's got two daughters at the time. And so he stepfathers them, basically, and they move into Summerdale Avenue House. All these places sound lovely, so they do. Like Summerdale Avenue and what was the other place called? Uh, yeah, Norwood Park Township. All these places sound uh, really quite lovely. Uh, so a couple of years pass, you get 1975, and he decides to start his own business, uh, PDM Contractors, a <laughs> construction company, basically. At the same time, his marriage is beginning to fall apart. Um, because I think he's just out shagging other people, guys. He's, he's basically he's not shagging his wife, basically, which is the problem, isn't it? Yeah, he's... like because their sex life completely comes to a halt, and he would basically just go out and stay out all night, um, doing what he was doing, basically. And his wife found would find like wallets and things like that, and IDs, sort of like from young men just <laughs> lying about like that. It must be a bizarre thing to find, like you find the ID for a 17-year-old child or something like that. Um, and then he starts bringing... He, he, he kind of stopped giving a fuck. He starts bringing just gay porn into the house and stuff like that. Um, and they eventually divorce four years after getting married in 1976. It's, it's a big one for it to ask your wife to put up with that one, isn't it? Like, it's bad enough, like... Tell you what, like we've, all, we've, we've all got into stuff in our adult lives that your wives maybe don't agree with, like... I'm going to start podcasting. I'm, I'm going to start watching the wrestling again. Right. Um, I'm getting quite into the old online poker. Telling your wife you're getting quite into the old gay pornography. That's <laughs> maybe just a step too far. And um, it clearly was with the divorce in 1976. Um, again, though, this guy's got aspirations. He becomes active in the local Democratic Party, uh, volunteering to clean the offices, first of all. 1975-1976, he serves on the Norwood Park Township Street Lighting Committee. Eventually gets himself and earns the title of precinct captain. This, this capacity is able to meet and be photographed with First Lady Rosalind Carter. Oh. Um, so Jimmy Carter's wife, who was in town for the annual Polish Constitution Day parade on the 6th of May 1978. Again, this guy, when he puts his mind to it, Jack, he's, he, he grafts, he works his way up and he gets recognised, he gets himself in areas. This is a guy that's, he, grafting is the word, he, he does, he grafts away and grafts away, doesn't he? Well, I because he actually like he, he finds himself being like the parade director. I think he done that three years running. Because again, that gets you next to people. It gets you like in pictures with people. You know, like journalists going, "Give us a picture, John. You're beside fucking the the first lady and stuff like that." Um, Rosalind Carter says best wishes so to John Gacy. Best wishes. She sends a picture and stuff like that. So again, like that sort of stuff, like gives you. A story for a start it gives you like a, a talking point, especially if you're involved in politics. Um, so in the picture, Gacy's wearing this like, special S pin that you got that indicates a person who received special clearance by the United States Secret Service. So again, that's pretty cool. Like, look, the Secret Service thing. I'm all right. I can go and speak to the First Lady and things like that, and I'm I'm fine because I'm part of the Democratic Party. During the search of Gacy's house after his arrest, the photos caused a an uproar, <laughs> a major embarrassment, basically, for the Secret Service, because they've gave him that pin. <laughs> saying, this guy's all right. He's <laughs> one of the most fucking vile serial killers America's ever seen. But, yeah, so that was a bit of a beamer for them. 
Yeah, so let's get into the murders then. Um, July 1975, one of Gacy's employees, a guy called John Butkovich, um, disappeared. Um, Butkovich had recently oh. left Gacy's employ after an argument over back pay that he was owed. Um, Butkovich's parents got involved. They urged the police to check out Gacy, but nothing came of it, and the young man's disappearance went unsolved. Yeah, that guy just disappeared off the face of the earth, man. And the parents were like, here, it was him. It was that John Gacy Gacy guy and the police done nothing about it. Not long after that, 76, another employee, a guy called Gregory Godditsk, disappeared and his parents, again, parents went and said, it was him, (laughs) it was John Gacy. He was was definitely one of the last people to have spoken to our boy. In neither case, uh, the parents were listened to, basically. But the cunts disappeared, the the poor boys disappeared, Gregory and John. So, yeah, indeed. Basically. Uh, another one then, uh, January 77, John Sizik, uh, an acquaintance of Butkovich, uh, Gozik and Gacy disappeared. Later that year, one of Gacy's employees was arrested for stealing gasoline from a petrol station. The car he was driving had actually belonged to Sizik. Um, Gacy said that Sizik had sold the car to him before leaving town and the police failed to pursue the matter further, Jack. Of course they did, you know. Of course they fucking, like, stop being lazy bastards. Or is it, do you think it was like the Damer thing where it was like, oh, they're being gay? I don't want anything to do with that. That's gay stuff. I don't know. I don't oh, really know. it could know. be. I don't really, really know. It could be that. Or just not, just not taking people's concerns seriously. He gets tired of digging holes in his crawl space. He wanted space that was available to him all the time. In this case, he did. So he hired one of his employees, a guy called David Cram, to make more space, basically. He also stayed in the spare bedroom um, of Casey's house. And one night... Cram came home from work and found Gacy drunk in his clown costume. They had a few drinks and then Gacy tricked Cram, tricked him into handcuffs, get his own kinky boy. And Gacy then started <laughs> growling and began spinning Cram around the room screaming, I'm going to rape you, which is uh, not ideal. He pushed Gacy away, Cram did, and somehow grabbed the key. And this is, see, this happens all the time as well. Somebody escapes. So this was the guy that escaped, basically. Um, I don't think he, not all of his victims died, but Colin, I don't think anyway. No, um, there was one in March of '78, uh, a guy called Jeffrey Rignall, who Gacy lured into his car. Uh, he used the old classic, the chloroform on the rag, uh, took the young man back to his house in Somerdale. He raped him, he tortured him, and then he dumped him in Lincoln Park. Um, police drew a blank, though. Uh, Rignall remembered through the sort of chloroform haze of the night um, a black Oldsmobile. He remembered the Kennedy Express. He remembered some of the side streets. Um, He staked out the exit of the expressway until he saw the same car again. He followed that back to 8213 West Somerdale. Police then started putting it together off the back of that. They issued a warrant and they arrested Gacy on July 15th. He was facing trial and battery charges for that incident and uh, he was then arrested for other murders. Um, In December 77, a 19-year-old man complained that Gacy had kidnapped him at gunpoint and forced him into sex. But yet again, though, Chicago police took no action on that one. Yeah, she was getting arrested, but no charge, I think, you know, and then... Yeah, no charge. Yeah, so Robert uh, Peast, I think you say, um, was a 15-year-old boy. He disappeared in December, just before Christmas 1978, from Des Plains Pharmacy, where he would work after school. He had a wee job in there. Just before he vanished, Peast uh, told a co-worker that he was going to a house down the street to talk to some contractor, in inverted commas, about a job, and Gacy had been the 
uh, at that pharmacy the night before discussing a remodeling job with the owner, basically. So the owner sort of put two and two together. But he did, uh, obviously, uh, Gacy denied talking to um, young Robert when the police called him the next day. Uh, but the police did not want Chicago police. Um, no, they did, but the Chicago police did. Again, I just sort of failed to check Gacy's criminal record. If they did, they would have known that he'd previous for this shit. Aye, like discovering that he'd done time for. I was going to say, I'll just say bomb blasting, you know, shot to me, you know, that old, <laughs> all the old analysing, basically. So, um, so they eventually they eventually decide to search his house, but so they do. And a couple of days after that, they decide, like, fuck it, we better go search this guy's house and see what's happened. Um, and it did turn up some suspicious items. You could say that. You could say that, yeah. They found a 1975 high school class ring. Uh, They found other people's driver's licenses. Uh, They found handcuffs. (laughs) Um, They found a two-by-four with holes drilled in the end. Um, They found a syringe. They found clothes that were too small for Gacy to wear. Um, And they found a photo from a receipt. uh, A photo receipt, sorry, from the pharmacy where Peace had worked. Um, and also detectives, while they were doing this searching, Jack started to smell something. Yeah, there was an offensive smell. It started to pong, coming from the crawl space underneath the house. Oh, that's it. So, like, the the ring belonged to Sajik, the the guy you were speaking about earlier, and, like, this is when things start to fall into place a bit, and on December the 21st, 1978, one of Gacy's employees told the police that Gacy had actually told him and that he confessed to over 30 murders. And so shortly after that, Gacy was arrested for, not for murder, no, for marijuana possession, for token the reefer man. Uh, police right. took out a second warrant, went back to his house on Somerdale, and then that's when they started to find the human remains in the crawl space, basically. Which is pretty awful, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's not ideal. Awful. Um, after being informed he would now face murder charges, he just started singing like a canary, as they say. Um, he confessed to 25 to 30 murders all in one go. He let investigators know that most of the bodies were buried in the crawl space in his property, and that his last five bodies, um, he threw off the I-55 bridge or into the Desplans River. And he did that because the crawl space was full. <laughs> Absolutely chock-a-block full of dead people, man. That's um, mental. Yeah, it, it was so full, he drew a diagram of the crawl space to show exactly whereabouts on it they were buried underneath. So um, he gave that to the police, 25, 30 confessions, five people off a river, and a little map he drew to help them find the bodies. Uh, he, would, he would basically deal with runaways, because like, these guys don't get reported missing, happens quite a lot. Runaways are just basically prostitutes, male prostitutes off the street, take them back, obviously say, like, I'll give you money for a little bit of goblin, if you don't mind, and take them back, or he would just grab some of them, like just literally just grab them, put them in the motor, picked up at least one of these victims at the bus station, uh, once they get back to his house, he would handcuff them, or tie them up in another way, and he would often stick clothing in their mouths to shut them up, basically after this he would choke them with a rope, give them a right good strangling, um, or and then just sexually assault them, he would also keep the bodies with him for as long as decomposition would allow, now we don't know if he's a necro, we don't know if he was shagging these dead bodies or anything like that, but he would keep them until they were absolutely stinking anyway. He didn't bury them for a, a while. Yeah, he liked, to, he, liked to, he liked to have them about with him. Um, the police went back to his house a couple of times searching for more remains, most of the time under the crawl space. 
Uh, for the next four months, they just kept finding more and more bodies uh, coming out of the house. Reporters, TV news crews and onlookers basically just stood outside the house each day. and just watched the police doing their work. Um, in total, they found 29 bodies uh, in the crawl space on his property uh, between December 78 and March 79. So four solid months of digging, searching and pulling bodies out of this house. Um, you're no wonder it was a media circus. Well, that's it. And like, it, he obviously had a type. So the youngest victims that were like discovered or like identified, basically, were Samuel and Michael, both fourteen. And the oldest was a guy called Russell Nelson, and another guy called James Mazara, who were both twenty-one. So yeah, between fourteen and twenty-one, eight of his victims were actually that badly decomposed that they've never been identified. And young Robert Peace, the fifteen-year-old, his body wasn't discovered in the crawl space. It was eventually found in in the river, basically. So, like, it, he was arrested, obviously, in what seventy-eight, but he didn't get like as always. These these trials take a while to sort of get going. Calling it, I think it was nineteen eighty in the February. So you're talking sort of what eighteen months, basically, before his trial begins in Chicago. And uh, he pleads not guilty, um, saying he was mental. Basically, he pleads, he pleads insanity, which is generally it's really difficult to um, use that as a defence. But the plea was just straight up rejected. Like, nah, we were having none of that. And Gacy's lawyer at the time was a guy called Sam Amarante, said that Gacy had moments of temporary insanity at the time of each individual murder. That's lucky, you know. Like, just, <laughs> That's handy for a minute. <laughs> oops, I'm mental now when I'm murdering somebody. Uh, but regained his sanity um, before and after to lure. <laughs> so, yeah, to lure, bait them in, get them back. He was totally sane and then went mental when he murdered them and then was just <laughs> sane again after it when he did... Come on, like, that's that, that sounds like the most shittiest lawyer ever. Old really Sam does. there. Yeah. Um, well, on trial, Gacy was a bit of a dickhead. He, oh, used, to, he used to crack jokes that the only thing he was guilty of was running a cemetery without a licence. Um, he tried to claim that all 33 murders were accidental deaths as part of erotic access, well, asphyxia. I was the lawyer that tried to claim that this fucking idiot lawyer again, man, mm-hmm. like just throwing shit at the wall and nothing sticking. <laughs> um, it's just horrendous. But the Cook County Coroner uh, basically just said this was all nonsense, said it was impossible, it just wasn't having it, which was good. Um, Gacy had also made a confession to the police originally, and um, he tried to have this evidence suppressed. They couldn't do that. So on March the 13th, so only just over a month of a trial for this, which is quite a short given the number of victims and number of crimes, he was oh. found guilty and he was sentenced to death on March the 13th. 1980. Um, fast forward, Jack, though, it took 14 years for him to actually be killed. Yeah, he was eventually executed in 1994 at somewhere that sounds fake, Stateville a Correctional Centre in Crest Hill, Illinois. Again, Crest Hill sounds like quite a nice place by lethal injections so pumped full of all sorts of nasty drugs. Uh, quite interested in this sort of stuff. Last meal. Oh, I love um, this, yeah. Yeah, so he had a dozen deep-fried shrimp. He, he must have been addicted to KFC from his <laughs> days when he was younger because he got a full bucket of original recipe chicken from KFC, a one pound of fresh strawberries and French fries. His execution was a minor media sensation, 
and there was quite um, quite large crowds. People gathered for execution parties outside celebrating, um, outside the penitentiary, basically, with numerists. Actually, people were getting arrested for celebrating too much, so we're getting pissed up, um, like open container violations, as they call them in America. You know, like that's why they put shit in brown bags. I think. Yeah. Like if you can't see it or something, you can get away with it. Disorderly conduct, but there was vendors there that were selling Gacy-related T-shirts and other merchandise, uh, and the crowd cheered the moment when Gacy was pronounced dead. Kind of like you alluded to earlier, he did not express any remorse at all during this whole process. His last words to his lawyer in his cell were to the effect that killing him would not bring anybody back. And his last words to the public gallery were, kiss my ass, which he said to a correctional officer while he was been sitting into the execution chamber. Um, Before the execution began, the lethal chemicals unexpectedly solidified Jack, clogging the IV tube that led into his arm, and that prevented any further passage. Uh, there was blinds covering the window, uh, which witnesses were able to observe the execution. They were then drawn. The execution team replaced the clogged tube, put a new one in. Ten minutes later, they opened up the blinds again, and the execution resumed. It took 18 minutes in total to actually complete the execution, which is kind of the opposite of what they want, but it's the lethal injection. It's supposed to be pretty rapid and pretty quick. But even, actually, they, even um, that went wrong. I, there was an inquiry into that, you know, so... I'll... Anesthesiologists, basically, so the guys that do all that sort of shit, basically blamed the the problem on then experienced prison officials, basically who were conducting the execution. They blamed them, saying that the proper procedures taught in IV one hundred one would have prevented the error. So they're basically saying they're hopeless at killing people. This apparently led to Illinois' adoption of a different method of lethal injection, so a, a more lethal, a, a better lethal injection, basically. And on this subject, Chief Prosecutor at Casey's trial. A guy called William Kunkel said he got a much easier death than any of his victims, so he wasn't giving a fuck. Yeah, that's or, true. Or, or, or boo-hoo. It took, it took 18 minutes longer, poor cunt. Aye, he didn't care. Um, his brain was removed, which is quite interesting. Uh, is this so they could do tests on it and stuff? Yeah, so it's currently in possession of a guy called... Uh, oh, no, so it's not a guy. That's me jumping the gun there, of Dr. Helen Morrison, who interviewed Gacy and other serial killers in an attempt to isolate common personality traits of these violent sociopaths. However, an examination of his brain after his execution um, revealed no abnormalities, basically, so he was just an evil bastard. So sometimes that's all it is, isn't it? Sometimes yep. that's... You go searching for more information and there's no no great other thing to tell you other than the fact they're just an evil bastard. Um, it really isn't. Yeah. Um, the... There's a big list here of all these victims, which I'm not going to go through because it's a bit morbid, but there was still eight unidentified. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also believed there may have been other victims that were never identified or found buried at other locations as well. Um, there was a ninth unidentified victim that was identified as recently as June of 2007, uh, a guy called Timothy McCoy from Nebraska. Um, McCoy was Gacy's first known and identified victim. Mm-hmm. Um, they got, but there's still eight people and eight families out there that don't know what happened to certain people and all we know is Gacy killed these people but we don't know who the people are sadly no idea who they are there's probably like there's some there's probably some of those people's families that have put two and two together and think oh, or Johnny or our Jimmy must it must have been one of these victims because it fits but they don't know that they must don't. be fucking horrendous man like my missus Karen's been watching there's a thing on like do you remember Crime Watch 
there's a kind of yeah, newish yes. crime watch called Vanished, and it's Dan Walker that presents it on Channel Five. Right. Um, Can't watch that. I kind of it's on, and I kind of watch that as well. But yeah, it's the it's a common theme with people that go missing is just the not knowing, like they would just yeah, and obviously. In jail, he could have said who they were, and he kept that to himself till the day he died. Yeah, it's shitty, isn't it? It's really shit. But I quite when I say enjoyed it, you know what I mean. You know, quite quite a tight tight episode to the point. He was mental, we know that. Um, but pointers: oh, alcoholic father, um, getting called a sissy, homosexual urges that were probably looked down upon. So um, bottled them up. All sorts of all sorts of pointers, but yeah, I quite enjoyed that, mate. Quite enjoyed that. And do you think that they will do a demo type thing on Netflix? Because I'm sure you said to me a couple of months ago they were thinking about other serial killers to do that type um, of program for. Yeah, let me just check what that story was. So they, they renewed Demo on Netflix for a season two, when it was going to be a different uh, person. I don't know if they announced who it was going to be. Let me just double check. But like they won't do uh, Bundy because if they've done, they've recently done a lot of sort of Bundy stuff. So I don't think they'd be doing Bundy. Um. So here's a story. Here. They've done the confessions tape and stuff like that. So they've they've announced a second and a third season of the show. Um. Drop the episode was a surprise. Nah, they haven't said yet who it's going to be. Um. Is Ryan Murphy still involved in it? Um. A fair bit of backlash from that show. Remember, people said it kind of dramatised them and made them too cool. Uh-huh. Um, they've said they're not going to respond to that and they'll make the show they want to make, but no indication yet as to who it'll be about. Fair enough. Could be Gacy. I'd like to see Gacy. So if any Netflix producers are listening, um, that's what I would like to see. But yeah, that'll do us um, for your Sunday night show. If you're a patron, a cool, a cool guy, a top potato. Monday, if you're not a good listener, you're a bad listener. But if you're, <laughs> if you're a bad, see if you're a bad listener, and you want to do something for us, share this episode. Click the share button. Yeah, do it. Just use your podcast app and then share it either on your Twitter, your socials. Share it with your pals. Do something. Spread the word. If you care, give us a share. It proper helps us get noticed, get loved, become famous, earn loads of money, and eventually quit the podcast and have a better life. So <laughs> very much do that for that. us. <laughs> right, guys, we will uh, speak to you. Speak to you in a couple of days. We might do a bonus thing for patrons. So if you're on the public feed, you might need to wait a week to hear from us again but the patrons will get a show on Wednesday or Thursday so we'll speak to you then take it easy bye